scripture reading this morning will be from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. It can be found on page 609 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along. Again, Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. It's an exciting time in the life of the Mount Juliet congregation. So many things have already been mentioned that makes it such a time of excitement. But also, as we think about uh, summer camp beginning today, uh, summer camp is a time that is good for all that go, but there's always a few that their life has changed there. And so I want to encourage you, as already has been done this morning, let's all continue to pray. As a congregation, let's commit that we will pray every day for God's will to be done and for great things to be done uh, during this time of Bible camp. And we're thankful for all that are a part of that and for all that are leading that, for Philip and Laura, and for so much good that goes on uh, in the life of our youth and the goodness and the greatness that they bring even to this congregation as a valuable resource. Also, Wednesday night, we begin Summer Faith Series, and we are very excited this year about our Summer Faith Series. Be sure you pick up one of the tuning in brochures, and you'll see on the inside all of the various speakers that will be here in the auditorium, and uh, that will be every Wednesday night uh, for the next 13 weeks in the general audience, but then also on the back of the brochure, you'll notice that on several of the Wednesday nights, there will be a targeted audience, and this coming Wednesday night, we'll, we'll have the targeted audience will be grandparents parents. And so some of you may choose to go over to the fellowship hall and hear Ed Slayton this week. And so many times during uh, the summer, there will be uh, two speakers speaking and you can then select which one is uh, the best for you on that particular night. And uh, we hope and we pray that great good will come in the Lord's kingdom from our time of studying together on Wednesday nights. If you haven't found a Bible class, we want to encourage you uh, to find a Bible class this morning right after this service. We're beginning a new quarter uh, today, and we have classes for all ages, from the little babies all the way up through all adults. We have so many different adult classes, and we would love to help you find one that would be a good fit for you. Uh, We learn a lot of Bible when we're in Bible class, but it also gives us opportunity to be in a smaller environment so that we get to know each other a lot better, and we really do a better job serving 
serving each other when we get to know each other in Bible class. And so we want to encourage you. If you're a guest, we'd love to have you. Uh, if you're one of the newer members of this congregation and haven't yet found a Bible class, uh, look for us out in the foyer after services and we would love to help you find a place to get connected in the study of God's Word. I've had an unusually busy week this week from a personal standpoint, and so I decided to do something on Wednesday uh, that I've never done before. Uh, I sent out an email to probably about 50 of you and that I had your email addresses, and I said, hey, let's do a best of Sunday. Uh, I really don't have time to do the prep that I need to do typically on a lesson, and my rule of thumb is I try to never preach the same lesson twice at Mount Juliet. But we're going to make an exception to that today. And so I asked for your vote. And ironically, uh, more of you voted for angels than anything else. But you also said, I know we just covered that, so you're probably not going to do that again. And you're right, I'm not. Uh, because that was just a few weeks ago. Uh, then the, the second highest vote was, hey, I love anything that we, we hear on families. And so tonight we're going to do a general lesson out of Psalms 127 on families. And then this morning, <clears throat> there were so many other votes and, and there were some things where it wasn't this exact sermon, although it was the second on someone's list, uh, but there were several things that made me think of this particular lesson, that the truth is, uh, when I've preached this lesson in the past, I fully intended to preach this lesson about every two or three years, even here at Mount Juliet, and I've dropped the ball on it. I don't know if in the short time we have now, I know in the short time we have now, we can't do justice to the text that is just read. But I really believe that some of the reason that we may struggle in our Christian faith is because we don't fully understand what worship is. When we think, why is it that we lose maybe 50% of our young people whenever they graduate from high school? I never hear anybody talk about the fact, well, they haven't really learned what worship is. Or why is it when we baptize a dozen people, we go back and we look for those, those adults a year later and we're fortunate if we find five or six of them. We never hear anybody talk about how whether or not they learned what worship is, is whether or not perhaps they could grow and develop in their faith. When you, as a rule of thumb, a lot of churches say, well, we only have 20% of our congregation that's involved and, and they have to do all of the work. Why is it that way? I never hear anybody say, well, that 80%, they haven't learned how to worship. They haven't learned what worship is. Listen, what we're going to study this morning will make a difference in our spiritual life. The truth is, if we don't know this, I don't know if we can be right and growing in our relationship with God. This morning, I'd like to ask you, what is worship? father was tucking his son in bed and and just making small talk he said son what's the highest number you've ever counted to and the little boy said three thousand three hundred and fifty five the father thought well that's kind of a strange place to stop he said son do you not know what comes after three thousand three hundred fifty five the boy says well sure i do three thousand three hundred and fifty six he said well if you knew what came next why did you stop there he said daddy that's when the sermon was over now I would ask you, what do you do during worship? There are people that make their grocery list during worship. There are people that they review what they did last week in their minds during worship. There are people that make plans of what they're going to do Sunday afternoon during worship. There are people that go through a category of restaurants in their mind about where they're going to go when the amen is said during worship. There are people that make to-do lists of things they're going to do throughout the month. 
during worship. And again, I'd like to ask you, what do you do during worship? And that brings us back to that question again, what is worship? What do you do during worship? Isn't it interesting that here we are in the very same assembly, and odds are there are some in this assembly that this hour of worship is the highlight of your week. I think about my grandmother Armstrong. She was shut in for 20 years. And Dr. Grossman, who at that time, that wing in St. Thomas Hospital, wasn't named. But now it's named after her, that doctor, Dr. Grossman. And Dr. Grossman, I remember upon a few occasions, would tell my grandmother, you're getting strong enough right now. I'm going to release you from your home. And I'm going to let you leave your home once a week. But I only want it to be for an hour or two. You know where she chose? Every time she chose that one time to leave her house each week was worship. It was the highlight of her life was to worship God. And yet at the same time, there are those in this auditorium that this is the highlight of your week. There's probably others in this auditorium right now that you say, well, I come, but I only come because if I don't, I feel guilty. Well, I come because it's, it's kind of a, a social thing and I enjoy it. But the truth is, I could take or leave it. If, if I'm out late Saturday night, sure, I'm going to sleep in. Or they say, well, I do it. And the truth is, I haven't given a lot of thought of why I do it. But I know this, I watch the clock and I can't wait for it to be over. What is worship? What do you do during worship? How is it that the very same assembly of God's people could be the highlight of one person's week and the drudgery of someone else's week? What is worship? Could the difference be that some come empty-handed? Some come with a heart that has nothing to offer to God? And others come with a heart that is literally overflowing, running over with, let's define worship. Before I define it, could I ask you if you had to get out a piece of paper right now and write down what is worship? What would your few sentences, what would your paragraph look like? Now, can I go ahead and make it a little bit harder? Although it's so important for us to study how God wants us to worship. That's such an important study. And, and this month, as our emphasis is on the church, we may very well cover some of that this month because it is so important. How does God want us to worship? But as you got your blank paper out in your mind right now, that's not what we're asking. We're not asking for you to list singing and praying and the study of God's Word and the Lord's Supper and contribution. We're not listing you to, to asking you to list how do you worship God. This morning I ask you this question. What is worship. Can you define it without listing the how? What is worship? By definition, worship is to pour out adoration toward another. It's the idea of, of a dog crouching or fawning before its master. It's the idea in the Eastern cultures of a person bowing or even lying prostrate before another one of great authority. It's the idea of Christians realizing the fact that there is one almighty God that they esteem so much greater when, and therefore with such reverence. 
that in nature and in humility, they are constantly bowing before God, seeing His greatness and realizing their weakness. Because of that, literally by definition of the word worship, it carries with it a type of timidity, a type of shyness. It's like Esther before she went in to ask the king's request. Eventually she wanted to keep the king from annihilating the Jewish race of people. You remember that she fasted and prayed and asked others to fast and pray. And you remember why? Because she was going to go before the king uninvited. And the king had such authority, all he had to do was lift his sepulcher and and whoever came uninvited would be put to death. Friends, we stand before the most powerful king that has ever and will ever be. Do you stand before him with reverence? Do you worship him, pouring out your adoration to him? Look with me, if you will, in Colossians, the third chapter. In Colossians, the third chapter, we get an insight to what worship really might be about. In Colossians 3 and 16, Colossians 3 and 16, 1047 in the Bible that's in your pews there, 1047. Colossians 3 and 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. If I said to you this morning that we're going to talk about the the grace that God gives us, you would probably with great appreciation say, great, I love thinking about the grace that God gives us. That's a common thought, uh, even though we still greatly appreciate it. But what if I said to you this morning, we're we're going to talk about the grace that we give God. Would you pause there and say, wait a minute, I think you misstated that. We don't give God grace. God gives us grace, and that's where we miss it. Every time we assemble together, we are to have grace in our heart that according to this passage, we pour out that grace, that's that adoration, we pour out that adoration to God. Grace in our hearts to God. When we sing, why are we singing? We are singing to God, the God that we love, the God that all through the week we've been studying His Word on our own. We've been receiving His blessings personally. We have been seeing the way he works in our life. We have been seeing the beautiful sunrises and sunsets. We have been seeing God in everything and our heart is full. And when we come together, we come together to collectively pour out our adoration to God. And here he says, one of the ways, if you want to talk about a how-to, one of the ways that I want you to worship me is I want you to sing That grace that's in your heart, I want you to sing it to me. But now for just a moment, back away from the how-to and say, what is worship? Worship is when your heart is so full of devotion to God that you pour out that adoration to God. In John the fourth chapter, we have one of the great passages of the New Testament that lays out principles of worship. 
You remember Jesus is with the woman at the well and he asked her about her five husbands that she no longer has because the one that she's living with now is not her husband. And so she does probably what a lot of us would do. And she changes the subject on him. And so she picks another hot topic and, and she says, let's talk about where should you worship? The Samaritans say up here in the mountain and the Jews say down here in the temple. And so Jesus says, okay, you want to talk about worship? I'll do this. I'll talk about worship, but we're not talking about the place. We're going to talk about something that's going to be much more important than just whether or not you're on a mountain or whether or not you're in a temple. And so in this, what he does in verse 23, and I'd like for you to notice a lot of the time we read 23 and 24 and we say this is passage about true worship. I'm okay with saying that. I'm not saying that's wrong. But if you really want to split hairs, and for this lesson, we'd be wise to do that. If you want to be very technical, this is a passage about true worshipers. Notice this. It's about the people. Look, if you will, in verse 23. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father is seeking such. Who are the such? It's the true worshipers to worship Him. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. What is God talking about here? Is he talking about worship? Yes, and worship is being spirit and truth. Is that all that he's talking about here? No, he is talking about the true worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth. Listen, this morning we could talk about golf or we could talk about a golfer. There's a difference. We could talk about a bank or we could talk about a banker. There's a difference. This morning we could say we're going to study about worship or we could say we're going to study about the worshiper. There's a difference. What is worship? Worship is when an individual decides I'm going to be an active participant in worship this morning. That's not my call to make and I have no desire to make this call, but I can tell you right now, God can look down from heaven right now and he can go down the pew that you're sitting on and he can say, that person has worshipped me this morning. That person has worshipped me this morning. Now that person right here hasn't worshipped me this morning. And that person sitting right there has been here and the last 100 times they've been in this auditorium, they have not worshipped me. Listen, standing in a garage doesn't make you a car. Sitting in a chicken house, you won't ever lay an egg. Just because you come inside this building three times a week does not make you a worshiper. You decide if you want to be a participant to worship God. Now, you can't go out and live a selfish life and live like a heathen and come in with nothing to offer God. It just kind of it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to hear people say, well, you know, in the Old Testament, well, they offered sacrifice to God, but we don't offer sacrifice in the New Testament. And I just want to pull my hair out. I mean, like, you're kidding me. Every week we come together and we don't offer an animal. We offer our life to service to God. It'd be so much easier to offer an animal. God, here's a lamb I raised. But God says, I don't want your lamb. I want you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God, what do you want of us? I want you to come together, and I want you to be a true worshiper. I want you to have sacrificed your heart. I want you to have sacrificed your mind. 
I want you to have offered grace, which means generous gift. I want you to offer a generous gift to me every time you come together through worship. Somebody sees you at a local restaurant for lunch today. And they say, where have you been this morning? If you're going to tell the truth, what do you have to say? Can you say, I've worshipped this morning? Or to tell the truth, will you have to say, I attended a worship service this morning? Isaiah, the sixth chapter, even though it does not have the word worship in Isaiah, the sixth chapter, that's all the first portion of the of Isaiah the 6th chapter is. It is a scene of worship and it's a heavenly vision. And so I'm not suggesting to you that, that we can go here to say, let's learn how to worship in the New Testament church because this is a heavenly vision. But what I can say to you is I don't know of a better passage if we want to study what worship is because what we see here is we see the one sitting on the throne high and lifted up and all of the activity and all of the focus is focused on the one who is on the throne high and lifted up. For example, when we see in verse 1, we see that he is on that throne high and lifted up. And we see that he has a robe that fills the temple. Now, we don't have time to to talk about how important it is that that throne is high and lifted up. But let's just put it this way. Anybody else could walk in that room and they could be standing and you still won't be higher than the one that is on the throne high and lifted up. And then what about that, that train that is on his robe? You know, I remember watching Lady Diana get married when I was uh, probably a teenager. And I remember that overhead shot where, where she was walking down the aisle. And I remember that the train was just so long that she pulled behind her. And you know, on that day, nobody else in that room had on a train. Have you ever been to a wedding? And have you ever, during the wedding, said to yourself, I cannot figure out who's getting married here. Isn't it pretty much a dead giveaway when the only person in the room that has a train is always the one that is being honored, if you will? Why? Why do we have this scene? Why do we have this scene of the one who is high and lifted up? That his train is so long that right now, symbolically, it's wrapped around your feet. When you're in the presence of of God, and you truly see God for who He is, you will not miss His majesty. You cannot ignore when something is wrapped around your feet. You cannot be in the presence of God recognizing who He is without being touched by Him. And then there's the seraphims, six wings. With two, they're covering their eyes. We're not for sure what the symbolism is, but it might be that he is so glorious that it's like Moses coming off the mountain after spending time with God. He had put a veil over his face because he was scaring the children of Israel. It may be that there they are in the presence of the one. And and so they cover their eyes because he's so glorious. And then they're covering their feet. It may be the very fact that we are defiled. We don't deserve to be in your presence. You are so great and powerful and we're just heavenly hosts here. And then there are two 
two wings that keep them afloat. Probably as if to say, we are actively engaged in worshiping you. And we know later on that Isaiah is going to cry out and say, Lord, here I am, send me. And so those wings are probably actively engaged in saying, Lord, I want to serve you. What is it that you want me to do? As Jeff prayed just a few moments ago, there's only one in the audience of true worship. This morning we could ask what would sound like a trick question. How many is in the audience this morning? And somebody might say, oh, there's probably around five or six hundred in the audience this morning. There shouldn't be. Now we do have a very difficult time of confusing worship with entertainment. Entertainment puts one or a few people up front to entertain an audience. And so now, as a, using the term very loosely, as a Christian culture, we have bought into the entertainment industry and we've turned what should be worship into entertainment where we put a guy or we put a group up on the front and the idea of many that come is, hey, do you have something that can keep me? If you're good, I'll be back next week. Hey, Do you offer comfortable seats? Do you offer a place that's close to my house? Can I park close to the door? Do you have the the kind of music that I like? Do you have some kind of message that reels me in, holds my attention, and makes me feel good every time I leave? I'll be back. That's entertainment. Worship to God is saying, there's only one in the audience, and it's the Almighty God. And every one of us are to be true, not counterfeit, not hypocrites, true worshipers, where we pour out our love and our adoration to the one who is on the throne high and lifted up. And you know what's going to happen every time we see God for who he is. And I promise you, every time I preach this, I get cold chills at this point. Every time we see God for who he really is, it is a rude awakening because we see ourselves for who we really are. And we're going to be just like Isaiah in Isaiah the sixth chapter where he cries out and he says, I am ruined. You think you're doing good? You look left to the right and you say, I'm doing about as good as anybody else. You need to start worshiping. Because you know what? When we come together to worship, we don't look left and right if we're really worshiping. If we're really worshiping, we look to the one who's on the throne and you will never let your eyes leave the throne and say, I'm doing pretty good. Instead, we'll cry out with Isaiah, I'm ruined. If I don't get some kind of atonement, if I do not get grace and mercy, I am nothing. Now, I know this has never happened in your house, so I've got to describe it for you to understand. If you can try to imagine this, it might make sense. At at my house, there's been a few times where like a leftover that's real good goes into the Tupperware and and then it gets slid to the very back of the refrigerator. And and then, you know, like last night you ate some strawberries that was real good. And and so you reach thinking you're getting those, but the truth is you got that that dish that was in the back for way too long, but you didn't know that was the one you were getting. And you bring it out thinking you're getting the strawberries and you open it up and now there's some kind of growth on top of them and there's some kind of foul odor that comes out and it's totally unexpected and 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 you just kind of it's repulsive you slam the top on you turn your head away you say those are ruined that's us 
we are ruined. And so the seraphim flies over. Symbolism here. With tongs. Takes a live coal. And says, let me cleanse you. And you know what happens when he's cleansed? When he's cleansed, he says, as the Lord says, who will I send? And who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord. Send me. We're not losing 50% of our young people because they know how to worship. We don't have people in the audience that are apathetic and worship. We don't have young converts that don't grow in the faith and yet they truly worship. When we truly understand the greatness of God and we come together to sing praise to Him, we don't really care who's sitting on our left and right. We're singing praise to the One who's on the throne, high and lifted up. And when we pray, we're praying through the One that's on the throne, high and lifted up. And when we take of the Lord's Supper, we do so in remembrance of the One who's on the throne, high and lifted up. And when we give, we give with a cheerful heart because we're giving to the one who has already given his all for us. This morning, I beg you to see God every day. And when you come into the worship service, let this be a time that collectively we pour out our adoration to God. Little boy, ask his older sister, I want to see God. She says, silly brother, God's too far away. Nobody can see into heaven. Discouraged, he went and he asked his mother and he said, Mama, I want to see God. And she sat down and gently explained, God's a spirit and we can't see spirits. You're not going to be able to see God. And the little boy was real discouraged. He decided he was never going to ask that question ever again if he could see God. But... One day when he was out fishing in a boat with his grandfather, after fishing for several hours, the sun was about to go down and he couldn't hold it any longer. And he said, Granddaddy, I want to see God. His granddaddy laid down his pole and he gazed off into the setting sun. He said, Son, it's getting to be that that's about the only thing I see. Friend, If you can't see God, I want to invite you this morning for the first time to worship. It's impossible to worship if you can't see God. It's impossible to worship if you don't love God so much that your heart has so much adoration to offer. For a true worshiper, everything changes. This morning, if we can help you draw closer to God, if you're ready to be immersed into Christ, if you're ready to come back, if we can help you in any way,